This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Current community affairs. Connecting. Uplifting. Representing. Informing. Celebrating. Empowering. Sharing your passions. You are on the line with Dean Beck. This is Macca. I'd like to encourage you to listen to Dean Beck. He's not always the most interesting person on Joy, but he is always right. Thank you, Macca. Now it is my great pleasure to welcome to the program my co-host at Pride March 2016, the very gorgeous Shannon Power. Welcome. Thank you, Dean. And wasn't Sunday a fabulous day? It was a glorious day. Huge turnout at Pride March this year and uh, what a wonderful event. It was. It was great to be standing on the uh, the balcony there doing the live broadcast, spreading glitter onto the crowds below. And I must thank you because we've had some tremendous feedback from our listeners from uh, the broadcast and... Um I should pass on to you uh, that uh, they were very impressed. Oh, fantastic. It was great working with you. Good teaming up again, Dino. Now, Shannon, you're uh, working for our very uh, good friends at uh, Star Observer and you've got a bit of a scoop and I saw this this week and I just had to get you in. I was hoping that uh, we'd be able to speak to this man, but I understand why he doesn't want to go on air. Um, You discovered that an HIV positive man was denied a tourist visa, and yet he's been here so many, many times. That's right. So Eric, which is, of course, a pseudonym, he doesn't want to be identified. He's from a Scandinavian country in Northern Europe. He's been coming to Australia annually for 22 years, since 1994. Uh, For at first a couple of weeks at a time, then was here the maximum three months a tourist could be here every year. So much so, he loved Australia so much that he and his partner had bought a place in Sydney, which is no mean feat. It's a pretty expensive place. Sure is. How old's Eric, roughly? He's 60. Right. Um, And he has been coming here year in, year out. Uh, A couple of years ago, they decided they wanted to move here. And I think in 2012, applied for a business visa to invest the lots of money that they appear to have in Australia (laughs) um, and were denied because Eric is HIV positive, which is not super uncommon to uh, deny someone a permanent visa to Australia. It is discriminatory, as we know, but not uncommon. However... Um, when he tried to get back into Australia for this year to, to spend the summer here and, you know, spend a lot of money and enjoy our culture and love our people, uh, he filled in the form. Oh, his travel agent actually um, put in the visa request, which is pretty standard. Yep, yep. His partners came back within a couple of hours, good to go, but Eric's was uh, came back with a message, we require more information. He was therefore then needed to go in to do a medical check Uh, at a very snooty doctor that was approved by the Australian government but definitely treated him very badly because he is HIV positive, spent a fortune on this medical check, sent it all off. It's a blood test. Well, it's an overall medical check that they're they're required to do. So he wasn't just being tested for HIV. It's like we we want to see how your body's functioning. Plus there's a HIV test in there. And uh, How's his health? He's great. Right. As we know, most people living with HIV are totally fine. Uh, wow. Just like any uh, anyone else with a, a medical condition like diabetes he's or on arthritis. Treatment. He's one pill a day. And that's the only medication as far as I understand he takes. He doesn't take, as a 60-year-old, which is incredible, yeah. <laughs> takes nothing but one pill a day for HIV. No other medical issues. So you made inquiries to uh, the visa peoples. Who are they? 
the Department of Immigration and Border <laughs> Protection, or, or Border Force as they like to call themselves. Yeah, right. Uh, and they admitted quite freely that they had incorrectly processed his visa application. They, they processed it as though he was applying for some sort of permanent long-term visa, uh, which wasn't the case. Um, Did they inform him of this? No, they didn't. They just said he... So what happened was he was initially denied the visa. The medical officer of the Commonwealth said, we don't think he should come to Australia because he could cost us money. He might need medical services or pharmaceuticals, which is absurd. He's never needed really any medical services here and he brings his own medication. Uh, So he was denied a visa. He disputed it by writing a very long, angry letter. Mm -hmm. About a month later, they, they gave him the visa. But they didn't tell him because they realised they'd made a mistake. He thought he disputed it. Right. So we have this man... So he thought he got it sort of on appeal type thing. Yes. Right, okay. So this man has been coming to Australia for years. He's never had a, a problem because of his HIV status. And he of owns course, property here. He owns property here. He was, he was diagnosed with HIV in the 80s. So he's been living with this uh, condition for a very long time. Wow, to be on one pill a day diagnosed from back then, that's good going. And, but I think the thing is, he's the thing that really has hurt him. He's lived through those tough yeah, times sure. of the, the heavy stigma, feeling like you're an outcast. And thinking he's got through all that. And, you know, in 2016, we, you know, we were supposedly fighting stigma left, right, and centre. Uh, supposedly, Australia is a progressive, accepting society, especially when it comes to people living with HIV. Then something like this happens. He's so disgruntled and upset that they've decided, originally they decided to only come back to Australia every couple of years rather than every year and now spend all their money in another European country. And it's and so the update from the story that I published, I believe, on Monday or Tuesday was the Department of Immigration sent him a letter saying, look, uh, we realise we've made a mistake, a very short three-word sentence saying we apologise and we don't actually prevent people coming in on a tourist visa if they're HIV positive. This, you know, in inverted commas, apology actually infuriated Eric wow. even more. Now he's decided to never return to Australia as a result because they probably should have admitted the error in the first place. Um, and said we have put these things in place to ensure it never happens again, maybe. Absolutely, and that's what he wants. And the reason why he came to me and wanted the story published is because he didn't want – originally he thought he had faced discrimination and he wanted the laws changed so nobody had to go through sure. what he went through, the stigma, the bringing up of the, the supposed shame of being HIV positive. Um, and then when he found out they made a mistake and didn't even bother to tell him, he was like, this is, you know, this is backwards, it's disgusting, Australia's supposed to be pr- progressive. And I think the important issue is that, yes, there's been an administrative mistake at the Department of Immigration that has caused this man not only a lot of emotional anguish, but a lot of money. He's had to change flights. He's had to pay for the medical check. He's had to be treated very badly by government officials and by doctors. And some people uh, on our social media have posted, well, if it's just an error, surely it's just that. I think you're blowing it out of proportion. However, as... Anyone living with HIV can tell you, you fight stigma every day. This guy's been living with this condition for more than 30 years. Uh, My math isn't very good, 30 years. Um, And he thought he was past that. And it just brought up all of that anguish and emotional turmoil that he experienced so long ago that was completely unnecessary. And it's not about the money he's not going to be spending here anymore. It's not about the love he once had for Australia might be gone it's that we put th- someone through unnecessary heartache. And that's appalling. Absolutely. Well, Shannon, 
You've done a tremendous job at uh, bringing this to our attention. Thank you very much for the work that you do at Star Observer and thank you for um, making the time to come in here today. It is a highlight of the importance of battling stigma in the HIV space and it leads in very nicely to the next story that I have for you. You may recall that shortly after December 1, 2015, last year, I called for Victoria's Health Minister Jill Hennessy to resign. I was told by many, including high-profile members of the Labor Party, that I was out of line and that I needed to pull my head in. I wrote to the minister and I explained to her why I had done that and she wrote to me back mm. on the 24th of December, Christmas Eve. And she said how sorry she was and said that she would look forward to coming onto my show and to discussing it. I got a phone call from the minister's office on Friday to say that the minister was going to make a big announcement on Saturday and would like to do that with me. I don't have a show on Saturday that would fulfil that requirement. She didn't want to go on for a whole hour. She only wanted to go on for, uh, you know, for a short time. So I asked Saturday Magazine if I could have some of their airtime and they were kind enough to give that to me. And so Jill Hennessy made a big announcement on Saturday, but before she did, we needed to clear the air. Before we get into this big announcement, I just want to get uh, one thing cleared up with you and I. We've had a little discussion about this um, through email regarding uh, an unfortunate mistake, I guess, uh, made on World AIDS Day. Yes, certainly. In the course of a, a, a press conference um, about World AIDS Day, I um, unfortunately misspoke and substituted the word AIDS instead of HIV and was devastated. I had not even realised that I had done it until you brought it to my attention in the course of that press conference and um, you know again um, I'm not one of those politicians that runs away when I've made a mistake and um, uh, uh, it is one that I will never make again. And we thank you for uh, owning up to that. Thank you very much. Now today is a huge announcement. Uh, you are expanding the local trial and it's actually getting a, a new name as well I know. It is. <laughs> um, and some 2,600 uh, people who are at risk of HIV can now go on PrEP. That's exactly right. You know, it's a, it's a great day, and uh, but I also, you know, want to acknowledge that, um, you know, these kind of things can't come soon enough. And in our commitment to eliminate um, HIV, every day counts. We've seen the incredible progress that's been made in the United States. Um, we absolutely must continue to pressure the federal government to get TGA approval and then get PrEP onto uh, the PBS so we can make it accessible. But in the meantime, what the Victorian government today is announcing is a significant expansion of the Vic PrEP study, which has been providing PrEP to 100 people since 2014. But today we're announcing that we're going to provide PrEP to 2,600 people. The aim is obviously to reduce the rate of new HIV infections in Victoria. It's a joint partnership, so I want to acknowledge the wonderful, wonderful people uh, with whom we have worked to get this expansion to improve access to PrEP, and that's the Alfred Health, the Victorian AIDS Council, and the chief research partners at the Burnett Institute and the Centre for Social Research uh, in Health at the University of New South Wales. Minister, will the expansion include a different cohort or will they have to be high-risk men who have sex with men and qualify, if you like, um, for the study, like the current sort of format 
is. Are you going to expand it to uh, anyone who wants it? Yes, we're asking anyone who is interested to get onto uh, the website at Alfred Health to register some interest. And we do want to make sure that we've got a wide cohort. Um, but so participants, you know, will obviously include gay men and other men who have sex with men, trans people, heterosexual men and women. Uh, couples where one partner is HIV positive and people who inject drugs. So anyone who thinks they would benefit from PrEP, we That's... really do want them to get onto the website to register an interest. And obviously it is the research um, partners being led by um, the Alfred Health that will you know, help ensure that we've got the best targeted cohort of people who get access. I must say, I have been flooded with inquiries as to how to uh, register for this expansion. People can register their interest in the PrepEx study through a dedicated website that's hosted by Alfred Health. And initially, PrepEx will be accessible through the Alfred Hospital HIV Integrated Prevention Clinic, Pronto, Paran Market Clinic, Northside Clinic and the Melbourne Sexual Health Centre. Uh, and as the PrepEx study rolls out, they're looking to ensure that it's accessible as possible across a wide range of locations. But first things first, get onto the website and register some interest. I believe the study will go for 20 months, is that correct? That's correct. What happens then? Well, we are hopeful in that period of time um, that we will get progress on um, PrEP making its way through the TGA and getting PBS approval. And I do think it is important that we don't lose focus or energy on the campaign to achieve that. Um, we ultimately need to mainstream access to PrEP and that is the only affordable and accessible and sustainable way that we will do it. But in the interim, I'm you know, delighted that we've been able to step in with our partners to provide um, another form of access. It is money that we have all put in, including the federal government and the AIDS Council and Alfred Health as well. So that money, I mean, this is a, a program that is funded now um, and we will continue to fund it. We've um, obviously entered into um, a agreements with our partners, so we're kind of legally obliged to continue to fund it, but it is important that we get the federal government to do their bit, and it is important that we ultimately make access to PrEP sustainable and affordable. Now, there's a lot of work gone into this by a lot of people, but I would suggest that uh, Victoria's community leadership in regards to PrEP is second to none worldwide. That is true, absolutely true. One of the great moments for me in terms of using the opportunities and the levers of government was to actually sit down and collaboratively work with the wonderful people like Simon Root at the Victorian AIDS Council. Edwina Wright from the Burnett Institute is second to none when it comes to making such a sensible and rational argument about why we need to do better and why we could do better, that we couldn't afford to wait until the federal government stepped up. And I was incredibly impressed when um, they bought Bob Grant, um, when he was over from the United States as well, to talk about, not just in scientific terms, but in very, very human terms, the incredible impact that PrEP has made in the United States and in San Francisco. And the compelling argument here, again, is not just a scientific one. One of the things I think we need to continue to remind ourselves is, and I certainly don't need to tell your listeners this, but more generally within the medical research community, 
is that these are not abstract debates. These are things that go to the quality of life, the sense of dignity, the sense of human autonomy that people experience every single day. Certainly, the things that I have learned and been taught um, by many of the community leaders are lessons I'm incredibly grateful for. It's been terrific to be able to work within, you know, sometimes the limits of politics, but to get good things achieved. And I think that the community leadership in Australia, but particularly Victoria, is second to none. You've stated that uh, the PrepEx trial expansion should reduce new HIV notifications in this state by some 30% during the period of the trial. That equates to roughly 77 people or thereabouts. That's correct. During that period, this state will see some 500 new infections take place. What can we do to get those even further down? Look, I think the important point to continue to make about PrEP is that it is, um, you know, it is part of a combination prevention agenda. It's not, it is not a silver bullet in and of itself. And it is important that we continue to do all we can. I mean, the Victorian government's obviously working on a new HIV strategy that the community has been incredibly important in putting input to. But it is important that we continue to have a combination prevention approach and the work that we see done by many of our premier clinics, the work that's being done by the Victorian AIDS Council, the work that Pronto does is incredibly important. But I I do not underestimate the role of discrimination and stigma that is still present, I think, in a way that presents great and continuing challenges for us. But we need to continue to make sure that we are getting good, positive sexual health messages out to all our community. Perhaps an important part of this agenda, but it's not the only part. It's a great announcement. Uh, Minister for Health, Jill Hennessy, thank you so much for joining us on Saturday Magazine. My my absolute pleasure, and thank you for your ongoing advocacy in in respect of this important but realisable aspiration to get virtual elimination of HIV. Victoria's Health Minister on Saturday Magazine, just this weekend gone. Now, Shannon Power is with me. She is a journalist with Star Observer. And uh, Shannon, we've had a message come through from Tony who says, well, I hope, uh, hopefully you are also sorry, Dean. We all make errors from time to time, you included. That comes from Tony. Tony, uh, I'm not sorry for calling the minister to account at all. Yes, we do make mistakes, but the minister is in charge of the HIV response in this state. That is something to the tune of eight and a half to nine million dollars worth of uh, public public funds. And if the person in charge of the HIV response uh, cannot get those things right in a media call on World AIDS Day, then someone has to stand up and have the guts to say so. I committed to becoming an ambassador for the Enough HIV Stigma campaign and one of the things I committed to doing and pledged to do would be to call out stigma whenever I see it. The Minister acknowledged that the statements that she made on that day were potentially stigmatising and apologised accordingly. I accept that apology and congratulated her for it. So Tony, have a good look at yourself and just have a look at where you call stigma and when you stigmatise. Now, Shannon, you've got something to say in this space. You've worked in the HIV stigma space. I have, and I, I just sort of wanted to remind people that when it comes to issues in the community, whether it's to be 
to do with LGBTI, whatever it may be, there needs to be a multi-pronged approach to getting politicians to act. This is where journalists play a huge role. And you may have made your mistakes in the past, Dean. Oh, I make, make them every day. I make them every day. Look at the outfit I'm wearing today. <laughs> no, but in all honesty... One thing that we need to do as journalists is to hold people to account. It may make us unpopular with them. And full credit to Jill Hennessy for not shunning you. And I I have to say that as a result of that call to action and you holding her to account, I do believe it moved that prep trial forward in Victoria. The, The government here was definitely sitting on their hands. They could have acted sooner. They could have done more. And I think now we're seeing a bit of a snowball effect. Now there's pressure on Cameron Dick in Queensland to do something similar. Uh, And I think that's an important thing that uh, the community needs to remember. Community organisations lobby on behalf of the community, but journalists play a role in getting politicians to act and making changes. So I can It doesn't you. win you any friends at all. And and Tony's an example of that. I cry into my dinner every Saturday night alone, Dean Beck. Uh, but, I really do. But and it's tough work to make those stances sometimes because, you know, people will have a go at you. But sometimes you just know that it's the right thing because we need to create the change for a better space. And, Absolutely. And I commend uh, the Health Minister for acknowledging the mistake. And also, Tony, um, the Health Minister didn't need to call me to make that announcement with me. Could have done it with Macca, quite happily. Could have called anyone else here at Joy. To be fair as well, she could have given it to mainstream media like Fairfax or News Corp and got much wider press. But and she, she chose ch- gay press to do she so. She chose a community organisation which doesn't have the readership or listeners of yeah, any absolutely. other mainstream media, which is what the New South Wales government did when they announced their trial. They shunned the gay media and gave the story to the Sydney Morning Herald. Yeah. yeah. So that, that is... Because it was a big story. Yeah, and they wanted the press coverage. They wanted yeah. the pats on the back Good from point. people. So Shannon Power, thanks for joining us today and thank you again for Pride March. It was great. I love you, Captain Rainbow. <laughs> oh, no. If you don't know what that reference is... Uh... Look at joy.org.au's uh, uh, Facebook page and photos to see what Dean was wearing on Pride March. And don't share your thoughts on that. Joy 94.9 is a GLBTIQ community radio station in Melbourne, Australia. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.